What a beautiful uh, and fitting tribute to our friend and especially to her Savior. As we continue to worship, uh, let me ask you to turn to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to read a portion of the passage we're dealing with today and then we'll read the other portions as we move through the message. We'll begin with verse 13. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of uh, walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, these are, these are hard words that we hope we have never said against the Lord or even thought them. But Lord, they are preserved in your word for a reason, and so we would pray that your Holy Spirit, the, the author of these words, would bring them home to our hearts, would teach us, mold us, convict us, strengthen us, comfort us, do that which you would have them to do, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. So why do the wicked prosper? I'm actually not the first one to ever ask that question. In fact, it's all over the Psalms. It is all over the Scripture. And I suspect, this is a theory I could never prove, but I suspect that it has been said every single day since the fall of man since sin came into the world and probably many, many times. And in our world today, I know I hear it every single day. Why? Why do they seem to be getting away with everything? Why do they never pay and if I did the same thing, I would be paying for it. I hear it. I know I've felt it. And yet God deals with it. So let's take a look in this passage. Uh, this, the latest uh, complaint 
your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? So here we go again in this book. If you are new to this study, what we have seen every single week is that there is a pattern, and the pattern is that uh, God makes a statement, and don't ever forget what the first statement he made in this book was, I have loved you. But then there are objections to what he says, uh, whether they've been actually verbalized or thought by the people. He knows it. And even with I have loved you, how have you loved us? At every point, there is talk back to God, to the God who knows all things. And then he explains it. He deals with it. He doesn't uh, minimize any of these concerns. He absolutely deals with it. So what is it this time? Well, earlier in the book, uh, he had dealt with the complaint that justice was nowhere to be found. Back in chapter 2, verse 17, he said this, uh, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? And then here's his answer. By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? So we, we dealt with that back at that point, And <clears throat> this passage is parallel with that in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it brings another uh, nuance, another angle of the complaint that people have against God. Um, So look at verse 14. He says, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant, blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So do you hear what the complaint seems to be here? Uh, There are those evidently who are saying, well, there's no point in serving God. What's the point of all this? And it, it doesn't seem to be so much that the concern is it's not effective to serve God, but in what comes next, it seems to be that there were motives for serving God by these folks that were actually not being fulfilled. Look at the motivation. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? What is the profit? Now, that word translated profit is, is used, I'm told, by those who count words, you know, in the, in the Scripture, uh, 39 times in the Old Testament. Now, the reason I mention that is because uh, each time, there, there's a technical use for that word, but each time it's used more in the way it's used here. The technical use for that, that word was when weavers were making a piece of cloth, uh, a prophet actually 
is uh, the Hebrew word there is when they cut the cloth off and uh, cut a portion off. And so what it's saying here is basically, where's my cut? Where's my cut in this? It's like a, a mobster demanding his cut for doing something evil. And that's really what, uh, what the, that word there uh, means. They're saying, look, we serve the Lord. And it's hard serving the Lord. And not only that, the arrogant and, and the evil are, they're getting their cuts. Where's my cut? And all these good things are happening to them and all these bad things seem to be happening to, to me and to we who serve the Lord. Nothing bad ever happens to them. And everything bad happens to us. They are winning and we're losing is the essence of the argument. Now look what happens next. There is a repentance among some of God's people. It is either a repentance or perhaps they were a remnant among the people that, that stood up and said, we ought not to complain in this way about God. So we, we hear from God's faithful people. Look in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another... Uh, now, this is a group among the believing community, and twice in that verse it talks about those who fear the Lord. So it's talking about those who really, really believe, and it's saying, look, this is, this is what their attitude was. Now, it, it says they spoke with one another, and it doesn't really say what they said to each other. Uh, so we got to try to figure that out. Now, uh, Jerome, an ancient uh, uh, biblical uh, authority and commentator and, and preacher and so on, said, uh, well, here's what I think they were talking about. Uh, they were defending God from those who were speaking ill about his ways. They were saying, in his, his view, uh, you know, we, we ought not to be talking about him in this way. What he does is right and just, and, and by faith, we should not be talking in these terms. And I, I think, I, I agree with Jerome, I, I think that that probably is the kind of thing that they were saying to one another. And the reason I think that is because of what comes next. It says, the Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written before them of, here it is again, those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So this book of remembrance, it, it, this indicates he was pleased with what he's hearing. And then it says this, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then once more 
you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So look at what God is, is saying here in terms of how he comforts uh, his people and how he speaks about them uh, and, and what he calls them. First, the Lord of hosts says, you're mine. To these that are standing up and, and saying, you know what? We, we, we ought not to be talking about God in this way. He first claims them. He says, you're mine. And then he talks about his treasured possession. Uh, that word is a word that would be used about jewels, about very precious jewels. He said, that's what you are to me. A treasured possession. And then he says, you'll be spared. When the, the judgment comes, you will be cared for. Uh, you will be just fine when that time comes. And then he says one other thing, that you will see a difference between the, the righteous and those who are wicked. See, that's one of the problems is they were looking around and they were saying, well, what difference does it make if we serve God? Because if we... If we serve him, it seems like we're not only not treated equal with those who are wicked, but, but we seem to be treated worse than them. And God is saying, look, you're going to see the difference. You will see the difference. You are mine. You're my treasured possession, and you will be spared. And then we go further in, into chapter 4. And it talks about how things are going to be made right. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, said, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. For you who fear my name, listen to this phrase. I love this phrase. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Now, here it is again. And we talked about this back when we dealt with what he said in chapter 2 about why do the wicked prosper and, and so on. He, he's about to talk about judgment. He is talking about judgment. And that goes against our modern sensibilities. People in our world don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear it from us talking about judgment. And if you talk about judgment... They will accuse you of being judgmental. And they don't want anything to do with a God who is a God of judgment. And they will go to all lengths to make up a God who is not the God of the Bible, but to make up a God who doesn't judge. And that's a big mistake. It's a wrong way to go. And if you have that God, as I'll tell you in a minute, that is not a good God. 
if there is no judgment. The other thing, though, in my view, and this is among our Christian circles, is that there are those that are way too quick to talk about God's judgment and to identify what he is judging us for. For instance, a hurricane comes and it hits a, hits a city straight on. Well, I don't care what city it is. You can say, well, they're being judged for boom and boom and boom, these things, right? Or a tsunami comes. They're being judged for their religion. Or, here's a really dangerous one, a pandemic comes. And we're all under a judgment. Now, here's the thing. I think it's possible that in some of those cases, God is giving a glimpse of what judgment will be like. But I also think it's arrogant for anyone to claim to know the mind of God and to call out specific sins and saying, you're being judged for this because of that. And if the pandemic is a judgment, then we're all under it, right? So we need to be very slow to do that and very careful. I think it's possible that that there is judgment involved in any of the things I've mentioned, but there also are probably millions of other reasons why God saw fit to have those things happen. And we will never know what those millions of reasons are. We should not speak for what God is thinking. So, in terms of this, in a, in a world of bullying, in a world where there is injustice, we need to know that there's no doubt when the day of the Lord comes that wrong will be dealt with. And a good God must be a God of judgment because that proves that there will be ultimate justice. Malachi never minimizes that it can be frustrating to live in the in-between times or what I've called this series, Before the Dawn living before the dawn, still in the darkness, but with the dawn hopefully coming. But in one sense, today, although we live after the dawn, they were looking forward to when the Messiah came and when the gospel was made clear and when, when Jesus did his work on the cross and walked out of the tomb, that's the dawn, but we're still in an in-between time and we are still before the ultimate dawn. And that is when the sun of righteousness rises, when Jesus comes back. So don't give up on justice in this life. 
seek justice for others. We should stand for those where there is injustice being done. But know this, our hope is not this life, that everything will get fixed in this life. And know this, no one, hear me in this, no one will get away with evil ultimately. God will deal with Satan, and he will deal with all things that have been unjust, and he will correct them. But for now, we are in the in-between time. We're about to approach this table. This is the table of the Son of Righteousness that shall rise with healing in his wings. It's his table. This table is the table of the pledge of Jesus coming again. It's a pledge of his bringing eternal salvation. It's a pledge of God fulfilling every single promise he ever made And it's a pledge that things will be made right because of Jesus. And we can know that, that Jesus is coming. We will do this until he comes for encouragement, for his grace, and for his strength. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are a good God and and you are the judge. Give us hearts that, that desire and long for justice and righteousness. But that's translated, they long for the Lord Jesus and for his coming and to make everything right. But in the meantime... Will you strengthen us even at this table? Will you enable us, enable us to, uh, by your grace, by faith, commune with you? And Lord, in a moment, will you take these elements? Will you take them from their ordinary use and use them in a spiritual way to grow your people, to draw us nearer to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, we we read the words of the institution of the table of our Lord. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then there is a a gracious... Warning, 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So this, this glorious table is a family table. It's for the people of God, for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. But there is a, a part within the family that is being warned here. And that is for those in the family that have some kind of a sin that they are unwilling to repent of, that they are holding on to, that in essence, it's a hard way to hear it, but they love more than they love Jesus. And so if you find yourself there, the right response is repentance. That's the right response. But if you are unwilling the right response is not to make a mockery of his table by taking and pretending everything is good just so others around you will see that. Instead, it's better to let it pass than to make a mockery of the one who will judge. For those of you who are in Christ, though imperfect, though grappling with sin as we do every single day before the dawn, partake and enjoy. Do it with joy. Deal with sin in your life. Repent of it and let him strengthen you at this table.